Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now brandon jennings misses the three loose ball rebound gobbled up by Dwayne wade here he comes with lebron oh my again a crusher from high above the rim remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks it is me one of your hosts james and here goes the alley down to Upit Diaz back with you once again uh and we have a very special guest this week the man who invented bucks and six it is an honor. Please introduce yourself. You know what? Maybe not my best call, but it is me, the very special guest, Xavier. But today we actually have an even more special guest, a fellow long-suffering Knicks fan and the creator of the Art But Make It Sports account on Twitter. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, well, it's funny you brought up Brandon Jennings because further hammers home the long-suffering Knicks fandom. I was at that draft when they and i swear to god i wanted them to pick steph curry i knew before everybody but uh that was the jordan hill draft jordan hill yep just absolutely awful um but yeah my name's lj raider and i run the account but make it sports lj it is absolutely phenomenal to have you here uh it's great to be catching you i feel like during the nba playoffs because this is a project that you've done for a number of years i think since 2020 with ARPA Make It Sports, since we all were kind of losing our minds. You seem to have had one of the most productive, like absolute mental spirals of any of us during the year 2020. So bravo to you on that. Thank you. It definitely gave me something to do. And uh, I guess probably best channeling it towards something that uh, I guess seemingly productive. Well, there was nothing else going on. Well, and definitely over the last two playoffs now, significantly more uh, notable. I have to admit, I caught onto it just last year, but I've been a very big fan since then. And that does seem once again to be getting you a lot of traction right now. Real quick, just so I can know like where we stand with things. You are a Knicks fan. It is very important as to what baseball team you also root for in New York, because I know that you've said that is one of your favorite sports. Yeah, so I'm a Yankees fan. But Okay. Just I'm had very- to get that out of the way. Just had to like make sure we can swallow that now. I'll, I'll defend myself by saying that I'm... I'm much more of a just baseball fan in general. I mean, I'm a huge Yankees fan. I love going to games. I root for them, but I'm a, I don't know if you play out of the park baseball. I've been playing out of the park baseball for, I want to say like, God, 20 years now, maybe even more than 20 years. And so I like the Pirates. I like the Orioles. I like all the teams that have stunk for 25 years and are more fun to play with in the, in OTP and, and try to bring them bring them up but yeah a yankees fan at heart hey we will take that lovely backhanded but still genuine compliment that we were a sucky team that is fun to turn around i love yeah, it all right now you guys are too good this latest, <laughs> this I'm, I'm the a's so i made an an a's franchise because uh the orioles are i don't know i think they're we, like a, they are the superior vowels to them are you keeping the athletics in oakland that's the important <laughs> question of course, uh, Vegas ruins everything. So, <laughs> gotta gotta keep him in Oakland. Now we've 
mentioned the Knicks. We've now mentioned baseball. But you have said that like you feel with the accounts where, again, if anyone has not seen it, the basic premise, shots that either you see or that are submitted to you that jog a memory of some artistic piece that you recollect from, if I'm not mistaken, a multi-thousand image folder that you are pulling from. Yeah, that's usually the case. Sometimes it's a famous piece of artwork that I you know, haven't seen in person, but you know, there's plenty of images available online and sort of people know about it. Uh, or then sometimes it's, you know, this, this is reminiscent of theme and art history and, you know, which of those pieces best match or finally sometimes it's, you know, this looks a lot like a certain artist's style. Let's look through works of that artist and see if there's something that uh, matches well. Uh, and it's funny because, Xavier, I'm looking at you right now and you've got the, the halo above your head and all <laughs> I can think of is uh, is you you look like artwork. So. <laughs> It reminds me of, so there's this very specific painting I think of in the PMAs section all the time, particularly anytime we're talking about light. It is uh, The Annunciation by Henry Oswa Tanner. And it is just one of the most like fundamentally brilliant depictions of a central light source that I've ever seen. I make a point anytime I'm in the PMA, I specifically do have to make it to that wing of the American part. The Annunciation by Henry Oswa Tanner, just gorgeous. I've never seen this painting before, so I, I have to add it to the uh, to the Rolodex. This is awesome. I'm going. Well, I hope you can find a use in that. Again, you are trying to kind of cover all of the sports. I think that is great that there is this sense of responsibility you feel to expand what people are looking at. But you do seem to have some things that the, the crowd, the audience, seems to have some favorites. They seem to, in particular, like either really dramatic fights and silly things in other sports or just balletic points of basketball. Other than just like the natural motion of basketball, are there any like players that you kind of, I hate to use the term freak, but are there like players that aesthetically you find yourself tending towards a lot there or in other sports, but I feel like that is kind of the one where we get the most examples of particularly expressive poses. Last year was Ja Morant, for sure, and sort of that Grizzlies team as a whole. They were just a ton of fun to watch. They were, like, the league pass favorite. I don't know about this year. I just diversified the portfolio a lot this year, and whatever uh, whatever seems to resonate. Maybe maybe Gunnar Henderson going forward. <laughs> I would Not love for Gunnar Henderson. I would I, love for him to do more things that are worthy of national attention, but he's been a little short on those so far. Yeah, what, not great. If you want to go historical, I think the most aesthetically pleasing to watch basketball player of the 21st century for me, for me, it's Jamal Crawford. He was at the game yesterday. They showed. Oh, him was on, he really? Showed him on the jumbotron, and I think his son. If if we're gonna play a, I guess connection of of guys, his son is supposed to be like better than he he was. So he's, he's like still in high school or something, but. A guy that we've got on the watch list for the future. One last thing that I want to get, we will soon, you know, go and discuss the guy that you've brought to us today. But to kind of understand your general philosophy about guys beforehand, I might be spraying this on you a little bit, but are there any artists that you think of that kind of give you guy energy in any capacity? <laughs> sort of like maybe underappreciated, maybe just underknown, maybe guys that have some weird quirk to their career that you're thinking of. 
Or, I mean, you're someone that attends a lot of museums in New York. There's a museum that you go to that has a certain guy energy to it, not just the Met. And we're not just talking art like Manet's and Picasso's. Uh, anyone that immediately comes to mind for that? The Morgan Library, I'd say, for museums. I think it's a little bit more obscure and doesn't always get talked about as much as the, the big names. And it's a little bit dependent on the exhibitions that they have because the permanent collections mostly just like how cool the library is and, and some random artifacts. But sometimes it, it can definitely shine. I'm trying to think of an artist who is a, a guy. Um, I might have to come back to that one. <laughs> we can let that marinate for a little bit. And I lied. There is actually one other question I kind of had, which is a little more maybe personal. But when I reached out to you, it was before what has been a just slew of media appearances that has been super cool to see. You've been now on, in addition to like a couple other podcasts, it was great to hear you on Effectively Wild. I have not gotten to listen to one with Slate, but you've been making the rounds. And you've now been on WNBC. And the reason I bring this up is like, dare I say, you were almost approaching yourself a certain guy status. Have you had any moment during some of these rounds where you have felt that at all? Have you kind of like had any experience or you're like, oh, do I have a little bit of guy energy myself? <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because the, the guy I picked has staying power, kind of, which is good. But then a lot of the guys I thought of didn't, right? They're sort of flashes in the pan. So hopefully it's not that. I do try to like separate myself from the account. So it's been weird with all the showing my face on like the nightly news. And I don't ever think about it as as me. Right? I just kind of think about it as the account and kind of want to keep it that way going forward. But when you get a chance to go on NBC Nightly News and show your like my grandparents and parents watch religiously every night and then not tell my grandparents and have, have <laughs> just pop up was was pretty cool so i don't want to think of it as like me having guy energy because it's just it's kind of the account and hopefully it does have staying power separate the art but make it sports from the artist exactly <laughs> death of the artist but make it sports yeah. i think i've said death of the artist in two consecutive weeks now so i need to catch myself on that i think that's our sign to move on to the meat and potatoes of today's episode. LJ, you have got a guy for us. I do not know much about it going in, but I'm excited to learn who it is that you've brought before the guy bunal today. Yeah, so this is hard. There were lots of people that I wanted to pick. I don't even know if I made the right choice, but this guy seems to have a lot that's gone on over the course of his career. He happens to be the MLB player that's played for the most franchises. So I have brought forward Edwin Jackson, the guy Bunel. It, initially, I have the exact reaction that I think we would want you to if you were bringing up Edwin Jackson to a stranger. So I, I, I like this. We love an Edwin. <laughs> yeah, so I guess Edwin Jackson first came on my radar. So I was an avid VP baseball 2005 player. I would argue maybe the greatest sports video game of all time, or at least a, a top five. The, the minor uh, league system in that game was fantastic, especially exactly. for the time. Yeah. I think I got to play as the Ottawa Lynx because briefly the Baltimore Orioles had the Ottawa Lynx as their AAA affiliate for some fucking reason. Well, there were like a lot of players that had fake names, and like I don't think they. They must not have secured the the licenses for everything and, and everybody. 
The oh, legendary John Dowd. Yeah, exactly. So the game was definitely a little... Uh, and yeah, like you said, the the prospect system. And I think Edwin Jackson, they had like a some hidden gem functionality. I, don't, I can't remember quite what it was. I think he was like one of the hidden gem prospects. He was one of the top prospects in baseball. But I remember uh, he was on like my MVP baseball team. Uh, and I and he was awesome for me. So that's that's how he, uh, he first came on to my radar. Well, it's funny you have that with Edwin Jackson because that exact same game is how I was introduced to Gabe Kapler, who as a Phillies fan, obviously, we had our own chapter with him. But no, it, it is a tremendous repository, that game, for guys, I, I believe. Yeah, the other, I thought for a while maybe, so Jack Cust was one of the... Uh top prospects in the game i think he's just too obscure to maybe bring up but he was another one i was sort of thinking of the but yeah that game's definitely rich in uh in guys so we've got the intro to edwin jackson we know how you first became acquainted but i mean there's plenty of guys from mvp baseball that could have lingered with you then what was you mentioned staying power what was the source behind that edwin jackson staying power for you yeah so I think the first fun fact or uh, reason why I think Edwin Jackson is interesting is that he's from Germany. So uh, really? was, was born in Germany. He is an, an army brat uh, of okay, sorts. I was going to say, that sounds like a military brat upbringing. So. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> moved to Louisiana, of all places, uh, and then Georgia, and spent his high school baseball as an outfielder. I'm also, when, when thinking of, of sort of what resonates to me is what defines a guy, somebody that like a, a Rick Ankeel, right? Somebody that sort of came up and played both positions. Obviously, Edwin Jackson didn't uh, in the majors, but he did in the minors to start his career. Was drafted as, a, as an outfielder by the Dodgers, and then they must have saw something that they decided to convert him to a, a, a pitcher early on. Well, I, I love that you brought up Rick Ankiel because that was my exact thought. He is the opposite side of the coin of Rick Ankiel. He's bizarro Rick Ankiel. Bizarro Rick Ankiel. But I think that like Rick Ankiel managed to also have like staying power somehow, right? Like he lingered for a few years, made like that comeback. I think it's because um, he had the yips and then made the comeback. I think that's why he had more staying power because most people don't come back. And that once it happens, like Chuck Knobloch, you're just gone. I think that's why Rick Ankiel may have... I think his aura around him had more staying power than his actual playing career. Well, and also the fact that his yips happened on such a national stage. Like, that was the NLCS, I think, wasn't it? Could have been. It was definitely, like, a major, major series where everybody was watching and completely melted down. But also funny, because... I mean, uh, I guess eventually get to it, but I think Edwin Jackson set the record. He tied the record for most wild pitches in a given inning with five, which I, you know, very Rick and Keel-esque. So. That, that, that season they spent together, some, something rubbed off. <laughs> yeah, so came up as an outfielder and wasn't really that good very early on in the minors, but sort of found himself and struck out an inordinate amount of uh, hitters, was striking out like more than a guy per inning when it wasn't all that common and also came up to the majors when he was 19, which is just like not something you really see anymore. So sort of early on claimed a stake in, in the big leagues, which uh, I think is cool that he managed to last so long, but also 
you know, if you come up that young and you, he wasn't very good, but came up that young and, and still found a way to play until uh, his late 30s. So pretty awesome. Yeah. On his debut, he faced Randy Johnson and outpitched him. So through seven innings, gave up only a run and earned his first victory in his, his first game. And this How is old like was Randy Johnson at that point. 2003? He's still pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he was on the. Assuming he's with the D backs. Yeah, that is the. Uh, that's not the D backs championship year, but uh, he is on the D backs still, and he's got a lot more time in the tank. When, and to come up at 19 and do that is so impressive. And yeah, when you first mentioned that, like, my first thought was is this like an, an age falsification thing? But the fact that he was born on a U.S. military base probably <laughs> rules that out. Yeah, I, I don't know how he. Uh, she, she's just like kind of an anomaly where you just don't, you don't really see that happen ever. I can keep going. There's a lot. There's a lot more to to Edwin Jackson. Um, there's there's one thing before we go on any further to Edwin Jackson. I wanted to check for a moment to see if he had a claim to like a t- being one of the top tier all time German players, and he's definitely up there because there aren't many of them at all. There is, I believe, altogether. Oh, I just saw it a second. Twenty seven. Twenty seven in total. There is exactly one guy I found who might give him a run for his money, and it is a dead ball pitcher named Charles H. Pretzels Getzing. <laughs> Went 145 and 139 over a career with over 1,000 strikeouts. He is a 1887 World Series champion. Can any of us? I'm not looking right now. I've opened the page, but I'm not looking. Can any of us name the 1887 World Series champion? The Cleveland Spiders. Philly started in 88 and also didn't win one until 1980, so it's not us. So the, the team that loses is the St. Louis Browns, the modern-day Orioles. I don't even know what the National League team that did win is. It is the Detroit Wolverines. They apparently folded after the 1888 season the very next year. But hey, they at one point employed the pretzel. Because he was nicknamed the pretzel because his curveball followed the curves of a pretzel that is exactly what it was he was able to throw a double curve following the curves of a pretzel <laughs> and there's a whole section on the pretzel curve we need somebody we need like a a german prospect to rediscover the pretzel curve like ghost splitter whatever they're calling the uh ghost fork, the ghost fork. Ghost fork. yeah curve. I can only think of max kepler right now who's really performing for for deutschland at a major league level Says Ron Gardenhire was born in Germany. Ron Gardenhire was apparently born in Germany as well. Didn't know Brendan, that one. Oh, Brendan Donovan. Okay, I remember Bruce Maxwell was born in Germany, but he didn't really pan out. I also remember like every year the European representative in the Little League World Series would just be, and here's the kids from the German Air Force Base. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after all, there is one particular kraut that we are concerned with today, and that is our man, Edwin Jackson. So Edwin Jackson, when he came up, was he was the number four prospect in baseball. But I guess he got sent down after his first year, and he pitched in, to bring it back up, where Vegas ruins everything, pitched in Las Vegas in the bandbox. I don't even know the name of the stadium, but it was for the 51s. Didn't do very well. 5.86 ERA and didn't do very well again when he got called back up. 
So he went from being basically this top prospect that eventually got traded um, for two relievers, for Lance Carter and Denny's Baez, who both are terrible. Uh, and then Baez got traded for Wilson Bedemit, who I guess he was like a top, top prospect at one point and then just like never... He was part of one game uh, against Texas for the Orioles where they led off the game with back-to-back-to-back home runs. And then I think Colby Lewis was the pitcher and retired the next 15 batters with 12 strikeouts. But we still won because we started it with three straight home runs. Amazing. And then he was never heard from again? Pretty much, yeah. I think that might have been his last home run as an Oriole. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I guess he got traded to the Rays. That's kind of, I remember him on the Dodgers, remember him on the Rays is still having like some promise. And he was a member of their rotation when they made the World Series in 2008, but wasn't very good. And instead of paying him, because I think he still had a little bit of upside, the Rays decided to trade him uh, for another guy, for Matt Joyce, who... He's a little, he just wasn't very good, but could do a segment on uh, on Matt Joyce's career. And so got traded to the Tigers, not the Wolverines, but the Detroit Tigers. And then uh, I, this is going to, we can just keep going of, of Edwin Jackson plays for a team, gets traded or gets released, gets traded, gets released. But I, I, I don't want to ruin if you're building up to it, but like, what was the final number? of teams that he ended up playing for. Did we get to 50%? So he played for 14 different teams. Oh, that's uh, so close. Yeah, almost almost half the league, basically. <laughs> um, Are we including his little denouement with the independent team, the High Point Rockers of the Atlantic League? Is that included amongst these 14? He played for 14 MLB franchises, so we'll call it 15 now. Yeah. Well, so what, all we need to do is with the bullshit that John Fisher is pulling in Oakland, we just get rid of the athletics as a franchise and we introduce this 15th team so that we can get to 50% of MLB for Edwin Jackson. I think that's the best thing we can do for the game of baseball. There are going to be what potentially two more teams. So yeah. Not, Expansion not come, question. Sure. Yeah. I'm looking at the 2009 Tigers pitching staff right now. What a weird team. You got Dustin Verlander. You got Rick Porcello. Armando Galarraga. Edwin Jackson. Jeremy Bonderman. You also have Dontrell Willis, Joel Zumaya, Fernando Rodney, Nate Robertson. That is such an interesting bullpen in rotation. And they were so average as a team. Did they have any hitting? Well, they had young Miggy. Cabrera and Kinsler, they probably would have had by now, right? Brandon in. Oh, Curtis Granderson, too. Curtis Granderson. Was Marcus Thames on that team? He was, yes. Oh, that's pre-Korea Marcus Thames. That's that's an interesting team. I I would do a retrospective just on the the 2009 Tigers at one point, but now this is my turn of making a tangent, so I apologize. (laughs) Like back when they cared, right? Back when Mike Illich was really, really committed to getting at exactly one thing before he died. Placido Polanco. That's a guy. Aubrey Huff. Chris. Uh, so, <laughs> the, so he's on the Tigers, and then he was part of the trade that I guess still resonating of the, 
the three team trade with Austin Jackson and Scherzer, throwing Yankee legend Phil Coke uh, in there and ended up on the Diamondbacks, where I guess he had his, his seminal moment as a guy in the majors, where he, against his former team, the Rays, threw, threw a no hitter, only the second no hitter in D backs history, other than Randy Johnson's perfect game. <laughs> threw 149 pitches, <laughs> had eight walks and a hit batsman, but still managed to throw a no hitter in a one nothing, <laughs> one nothing game. A whip of one in a no hitter is hilarious. <laughs> this is 149 pitches. I think it well, per- perfectly sums up who Edwin Jackson was. Like he managed hey. to stay around forever, but just wasn't wasn't good. But. And he's got this over Pretzel. Pretzel never threw a no-hitter. He is the first German-born player to hit a no-hitter. So take that, Pretzel. Well, and it also didn't strike me until you just said it like that, LJ, but he makes his Major League debut at 19 years old against Randy Johnson and then joins him as the only Diamondbacks to throw a no-hitter. That's fascinating. And like I think those are just kind of random parallels that we, we love about sports and we love to see in guys. There's another parallel that comes later on, but I can we'll we'll talk about it now. So when he was on the Cardinals, he was on the team with Octavio Dotel, and then they won the World Series. Then he broke Dotel's record for most franchises with 14 played for, and Dotel was at at 13. So former teammates on a on a World Series team passing each other. I have to imagine like there's an extent by that point too that they are actively competing against each other. I, I want to believe that he does hold that 14 over him. <laughs> we'll see an Octavio, Octavio Dotel comeback just to... I mean, he could probably pitch for the A's. The bullpen sucks. Maybe uh, maybe he'll come he back did, and him. He did pitch for the A's, though, from 04 to 05, so oh, that would easy. not count as an yeah. addition. Half of the league he can't do this bit with because he's already been with them. True. He was with the Orioles for four days. Orioles legend, Edwin Jackson. <laughs> so he was called up from Norfolk, designated for assignment four days later. Four days later. <laughs> Does he have, I need to see if he has any strikeouts whatsoever with the Orioles. Let's find out. At least he got a paycheck. You know what, he's, he's living the life of like the greatest backup quarterbacks of all time. 8.9 career war? He appeared in 412 games, and he is 8.9 war. That is impressively average. I think that wasn't even his shortest stint, those four days. I think he was traded twice in the same day as well, at which point he was traded twice. but Did manage two strikeouts. I'll give him that. There you go. I can't say I remember him in an Orioles uniform. It was 2017. It was a pretty forgettable season. <laughs> I do I do have this up because I was looking at his transaction log earlier. Uh, it was July 27th, 2011 was the day that Edwin Jackson was traded twice. He was first traded by the White Sox uh, along with Mark Tehan to the Blue Jays exchange for Zach Stewart and Jason Frazier. Later that same day, traded with Octavia Dotel. Mark, that is Chinsky. a very, very... It's Scrabble. What is it? His nickname was Scrabble. Yeah, it's Scrabble, yes. Yeah, no, that thing Xavier said. <laughs> uh, and Corey Patterson to the Cardinals in exchange for Colby Rasmus, Trevor Miller, Brian Tallett, and P.J. Walters. 
Holy Rasmus. God damn. I wonder if you inventoried every player in MLB history and looked at which player played with the most other people. Would Edwin Jackson have the most people that somebody's who has, the most who, who has the most distinct teammates all time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, or that like, would be so fun, players. but so hard to well, figure out. He, so he's got to be up there. A guy like Julio Franco's got to be up there. Jimmy Moyer's got to be up there. Yeah. I wonder who's been, who's had the most, how do I phrase this? People involved in the trades that they were also involved in. Because he's traded a whole bunch too with like a, a bunch of big trades. Yeah, we've already got Scherzer involved somewhere. We got Mark Tian. <laughs> two sure. two players of the exact same caliber. It's often uttered in the same breath. I've always been saying. You know, if Mark yeah. Tian played now, he'd be making fifty million dollars a year too. He was. Uh, he might have been an MVP baseball two thousand five guy. Also, randomly throughout. So we've gone from the Dodgers to the Rays to the Tigers. He's had his no-hitter on the Diamondbacks. Goes to the White Sox for a year. Wins a championship on the Cardinals. Probably has his best, eh, one of his best seasons there. I think it's paid. It's $11 million in 2012 for the Nats. He's mediocre. 10-11, and 11, the 403 ERA. Becomes a free agent. And he really gets paid. So the Cubs signed him to a four-year, $52 million a year deal. And that's where he broke, he broke the record for most wild pitches in an inning. Finishes 8-18 eight and 18 with a 4.98 ERA. They keep him around for another year. He goes 6-15 and 15 with a, with a 6.33 ERA over 140 innings. And opponents hit 302 off of him. Over the course of his final nine starts, he goes one and six with a nine nine five ERA, and then he gets demoted to the bullpen. He enters twenty fifteen the next year, competing for a spot. And he gives up nine earned runs in sixteen innings, and then they designate him for assignment and eat thirteen million dollars that remain on his contract. And then, yeah, he goes to That's the Braves, the Marlins, the Padres, the Orioles. Comes back to Washington. Goes to the A's, the Blue Jays, the Tigers, the Diamondbacks again, and then finally the High Point Rockers. And also plays for international baseball uh, for the USA national team, the 2020 Olympics. He's an uh, Olympic medalist. <laughs> and in typical Edwin Jackson fashion, only gets silver uh, and was never, <laughs> never, he never. He sure old. did participate in a lot of baseball. <laughs> exactly. Well, and we glossed over it, but I do want to just shout out the first year in 2013 with the Cubs. He did lead all of baseball with those 18 losses. <laughs> it's the first thing he's ever he's ever led in. Uh... <laughs> he, is, he is the gold medal loser in all of baseball for 2013. If you look at his baseball reference page, that is the only only statistic across his entire portfolio that he ever led in. 18 losses. <laughs> Is an all-star? There is, though, exactly one other important statistic. His average strikeouts per nine, guys. It is, is it 6.9. 6.9. It is 6.9. Incredible. Very there were, nice. There were a few years where he... Uh, I, I was looking for this earlier because I remember you asked me to look for these. There are a few 69s that, that do show up. I mean, they're, they're bound to happen. Um, I feel like Edwin Diaz is a perfect tank commander. 
Like, his, if you want your Edwin team Jackson. to lose, or Edwin Edward Jackson, sorry, I was thinking about you. Don't for insult a second, my father. Like that. Don't <laughs> insult my father. Edwin Jackson is a perfect tank commander. He's bad enough to make sure you lose, but not bad enough to be out of a job. So if you want a tank, if you want to be the Houston Astros before the cheating, just give Edwin Jackson some money, and you'll lose a bunch of games. The other, the other 69 that I noticed is 8,569 career batters faced. His game-entering leverage index on his career was 0.69. So whenever he made a, a relief appearance, it was it was nice leverage index. That is Edwin Jackson. There's probably a lot more to him. I think we could be here all night talking about the various teammates that he's had and his cameos, but he was the guy that I thought would be, uh, I don't know, the funniest. He's just, he's probably still around. He's probably still pitching somewhere in the God knows what league and bubble up again in, in the majors based on a, on his track record. I imagine him pitching like seven solid innings of three-run ball in the local church league right now. It's like wherever, uh, wherever Kenny Powers is pitching, Edwin Jackson's coming in to, to close the game out. Wherever someone needs a no-hitter with a whip of one, he'll be there. <laughs> just, I, remember, I think I was watching that game. It was just so, so funny. And it's like the kind of player that like, if you cared about that pitcher... Never in a million years would you leave him in, but it's Edward Jackson. Like, what's he gonna do? His his arm is I don't was he ever even hurt? Really just always he said like a tank. I mean, if if we hold true to the axiom, the best ability is availability. No player in baseball history was available for more teams than Edwin Jackson. <laughs> so is Edwin Jackson the greatest player in the history of baseball? Some people are saying yes. He was so available for the Cubs, they had to pay him $13 million to not be available for them. <laughs> and then he subsequently found, like, seven more jobs. So <laughs> He's got one. So he, he played for all these teams, was mostly a starter, but then registered just one save in his career <laughs> across all the games that he played. Just one save. He just had to prove he could do it, and once he did, he, he proved all that he had left. One save, one All-Star game, one World Series, just enough. One no-hitter with one hit batsman. <laughs> one year at most teams before being chased out of town. It's like, the, um, it's like that Arrested Development meme, like every team signing Edwin Jackson. Like, oh, these teams, they, they delude themselves into thinking that maybe it'll work out for them, but maybe it just might work out for us. We have also, uh, I'm sorry, we've lost over the fact he's not born in Germany, technically. He's born in West Germany. Oh, true. Pre, uh, he's, pre a, he's a Cold War, War army brat. <laughs> 1983. Oh, he's a junior, too. I wonder what Edwin Jackson's senior. It doesn't mean that his father is senior, as we have learned from previous guests, where Ricky Council IV is not yeah. his father, it was just Ricky Council. But Ricky Council named all three of his sons: Ricky Council the second, Ricky Council the third, and Ricky Council the fourth. Was George Foreman? Didn't he do that with his kids or something? Yeah, jo yes, George. He did. What was it? It was a Georgette. <laughs> he, I think he did like a bunch of them were just George, and then there was Georgette. Kimbo Slice did this too, as we've talked about. A lot of people do this for some reason. 
But. It's weird how these people that we like make into media idols have some kind of like fascination with themselves. Wait, I got it. I got. I found it. George Foreman has twelve children, five sons, and seven daughters. His five sons are George Jr., George the Third, nicknamed Monk, George the Fourth, <laughs> who is Big Wheel, George the Fifth, who is Red, George the Sixth, who is Little Joey. On his website, Foreman explains, "quote I named all of my sons George Edward Foreman. So they would always have something in common." I say to them, if one of us goes up, then we all go up together. And if one goes down, we all go down together. I like that he has a website. <laughs> and the rationale for naming his children available on that website. <laughs> well, okay, we know how we feel about George Foreman, but Guy Bunel, let us converge and converse on the odds here of our friend Edwin Jackson Jr. making the way in. Let's not forget that Jr. I mean, it's... To me, it's a resounding yes. He does get a slight deduction from me as a petty Philadelphian for being on that 2011 Cardinals team that had no fucking business beating the Phillies in the NLDS. So I do have a slight pettiness grievance there. However, I I love the idea of he's this elite prospect coming up that never even came close to living up to the expectations, but still managed to stick around for... Like, nearly two decades. Has those, like, random weird moments throughout his career where he's in the spotlight. The author of the worst no-hitter in baseball history, probably. He's just a fascinating character. A wunderkind who loses the wunder part. Just a kind. I'm going to keep harping on that. It's, it's fascinating to me that Germany hasn't produced, I wouldn't think a lot of players, but I'd think more than 27. And the fact that he is... Undeniably, one of the greatest is an excellent point in his favor. It is also kind of silly looking back on someone like, you know, similarly Dave Nilsson, where it's from these countries where I would think there'd be some more, even if not that many, where 8.9 war is probably enough, which is a 0.8 per 162 game average for him over his career. So he is almost exactly a replacement level player. I think that's a point in the favor of a guy. And then I want to talk about for a second those 2011 Cardinals, Diaz, that you touch on, because I think that's one of the best lessons that Edwin Jackson can impart on us. This is an educational guy in some ways, because even by this point, he's a top prospect that's fallen on hard time, find relevance, find a role that he can fill. And then he has in one season, just as you mentioned earlier, two different trades, two different franchises saying no. After all the ones that have already said no to this point, like, yeah, color me surprised that the Rays traded a like okay player that they might have had to pay for a completely fine player that was slightly younger than them. But those two trades are what lead to his championship, his only World Series championship. It is always darkest before the dawn, and Edwin Jackson is a reminder of that. Are you going to be a protest vote, Xavier? No, no, I'm just thinking about the fact that I... I find it very funny that one of the last things he ever did was pitch one inning out of the bullpen in the Olympics. <laughs> like, it just, it, it feels like he's just, I mean, he must be someone that people enjoy spending time with if, it, with his stats, he kept finding work. So it must, like, he, he must be a glue guy of sorts, someone that people like. And I feel like that's enhanced by the fact that it brought him to Tokyo for the Olympics, a guy who had not pitched in the majors in years and was 38 years old at that point. 
And they're like, oh, right. you know what? You're here. We'll let you get one inning of a game just because we like you. And I do well, like I, that a lot. He needed to get one more team on the list. Well, like, I mean, yeah, and to your point, Xavier, like, I forget who I said it about a couple episodes ago, but you don't get to play for 14 teams if you're an asshole and nobody likes you. It's funny, in, in looking through what I wanted to say about Edwin Jackson, there wasn't a single article about anything of, of his behavior, of his clubhouse personality. It kind of just seems like he was just there the entire time. <laughs> Well, it does sound like Edwin Jackson, if he wasn't beloved in other locker rooms, sounds like he's got three people in favor of him here on the Skybunal. In that case, Diaz, would you care to do some honors? I would love to. It is the great privilege of this Skybunal to acknowledge, to recognize, and to welcome. If we go by the best abilities availability standard, he is the greatest player in baseball history. He is the author of the longest single pitcher no-hitter in baseball history. He is the man with an incredibly nice 6.9 strikeouts per nine innings for his entire Major League Baseball career. And he is the newest inductee into our illustrious Hall of Guy, Edwin Jackson Jr. Welcome to the Hall of Guy. Welcome, Edwin, and congratulations, LJ, on the successful case for Mr. Jackson Jr. If this has gotten people interested in, you know, what your eye sees in sports and they want to see more of the kinds of images and things that come to mind for you, where can people find all of those lovely musings? It's funny. I was thinking, should I make an Edwin Jackson meme? And then I feel like nobody would know what they were looking at because he's Edwin Jackson. I mean, the fan bases of 14 teams might. (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> so sorry, your question. So the account I run is called Art But Make It Sports. Uh, I think it's at Art But Sports on Twitter and Art But Make It Sports on Instagram. And there's also a sub stack for when Twitter completely melts down. <laughs> um, I think I have a it's Discord coming. channel, even though I don't know what it is. And a Mastodon that I don't, I've never like logged into. There was like a three-day period where people were like, oh my god, we're posting over there. We're all going to Mastodon. And as far as I know, some people are there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm th- there in, in writing, not there in anything else. Still on, on Twitter until it, its last days. But yeah, thank you for, for having me. And uh, love talking about uh, guys, especially baseball guys. So this was very interesting. If I may put you on the spot one final time on the process of guys, have any art guys come to mind in this time? Oh, have any, like, who, well, it's funny, while, while we were doing this, my buddy t- texted me a, uh, he was like, oh, did you, did you catch what just happened with Giannis? You're going to make that into a meme. And I, didn't, I wasn't paying attention. He sent me a picture and it's like with a trainer who's uh, like theragunning Giannis when he's, he's bent over. And I immediately knew what, what artwork it would be. So I'm going to actually post it in a second, but the artist is Nicholas Poussin or Poussin. I'm not classically trained in art history, so I don't know how to pronounce any of these artists' names. I've just read about them. But he's definitely a guy. His stuff comes up all the time, but feels like he doesn't he's the Edwin Jackson, I feel like, of, of artists. He's eh, nah. He's better. But he's got a huge portfolio of work and uh, stuff is everywhere. So That is a re endorsement 
better than Edwin Jackson. <laughs> better than, than sixty nine leverage index. If I can give one confession on this intersection of art and sports before we wrap this episode, I learned of Matisse Tybal before I learned of the artist Matisse. I was just like, oh, Matisse, that's a dope ass name. And then I later learned I was like, oh, do you think this art guy got his name from the basketball player? And like, I was a hundred percent a genuine thought I had. Um, so <laughs> Matisse has a piece called The Bull, also, which is like the extra little chef kiss on top of it. I did a, a pairing of, of a Matisse and a Matisse of Matisse's Icarus. And Matisse Thibel follows the account, which is kind of cool. So he's up there with maybe if I come on again, he'll, he'll be my guy. For that. Although, can I, can I talk about one of the guys that I wanted to talk about? Or we, we Sure, yeah. Who else did you have kind of in the hopper? So I listened to a few of the past episodes and found out that Philly kind of resonates throughout, uh, at least the ones that I was listening to. I was Definitely. shocked when I looked at the list of guys that he hadn't been brought up. Maybe I should have gone with him, but Vincente Padilla. Uh, oh, I love Vicente. In the same vein of Edwin Jackson of just kind of coming up everywhere. Although he's got some wild stories of just like violence. Apparently he came down with swine flu and he was the first major league player when swine flu was going on to get swine flu. Loved him. Uh, he was a, He was actually good, though, in some stretches but an absolute psychopath. The lone Phillies representative in the ill-fated 2002 tied All-Star game. Didn't even realize he made an All-Star team. <laughs> I guess he, him and Edwin Jackson. maybe each There's a ball. lot of guys who have made one All-Star team that I've really learned from doing this podcast that you would just never expect. And baseball, gets one. Baseball specifically because everybody gets one. I also need to shout out on the topic of Vicente Padilla. That was a particularly great era of Phillies fan groups. We had Howard's Homers, we had the Millwood Militia, we had Duckworth's Pond, and we had the Padilla Flotilla was my favorite of them all. Awesome. That is objectively a very good name. Speaking of names, folks, I want to name just a couple people that we are thankful for. For one, our guest LJ, as well as my two lovely partners in crime. I am, as always, thankful for the producers and coders behind our producer, Craig. And for our musical director, Don Ham and the lovely theme music that we enter to every time. I am thankful to you, listener, for joining us. If you have anything else that you need to know about related to guys, you can find all of our stuff at bit.ly slash remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. And until next week, I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. LJ Raider. Thanks for voting for my guy. Appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Great to have you, LJ. I've been Diaz, and as Ronald Reagan once said, in leading to the release of Edwin Jackson Jr., Mr. Gaibachev, tear down this wall. <laughs> <laughs>